0: Lord, we are in an anxious season in our country right now. There's a lot of fears about who's going to lead us. There's a lot of fears about, are we going to split apart as a country? Lord, there's a lot of fears about this virus that's in the air. And who is it going to hit next? and Are our businesses going to survive? And and Lord, we praise you because you are Jesus. You are God incarnate. You're the God who left heaven. You left glory and you came down and you were born. You were born. You grew up. You were fully God and fully man. And so you fully know what we're going through right now. You know with the mind of God and you know with the mind of man. You know with the strength of God and you know with the weakness of man. What it is each of us are going through right now. And so we praise you for that, Lord. We worship you for that, Lord. And We expect you today to come and visit us, Lord, because you are a gracious God. You are a powerful God. You are a mighty God. And so, Lord, I pray what you taught me this morning, I would teach your people right now. What you put in my ear in the quiet place, Lord, would be proclaimed now in the outdoors, Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, God's been speaking to me. Uh, this morning, I was walking down the street. As I usually do on Sunday mornings, I go for a walk. I walk to Panera, I walk back and kind of prepare my sermon, try to hear from God. And and to be honest, guys, this week was a really, last couple of weeks been a really hard couple of weeks for me. Um, I felt really weak. In the last couple of weeks, um, and I don't like feeling weak. I felt a little bit like a failure. I felt not smart, and I don't like feeling not smart. Um, and uh, and to be honest, the, the last few days, I've I've had my eyes um, on what I could see and what I can't see, instead of my eyes on God and and so i i I was really struggling with whether or not I could get up in front of anybody today, and so, as I often do when i'm in that situation i started I started praying in in that heavenly language that God gave me when in my twenties uh, when I don't know what to say, when I don't know what to think i just I just go there, and I, I think I was a little lost in Uh, maybe a little bit loud as I was walking down the street, because all of a sudden a guy across the street said, hey, good morning, in an accent, and uh, which is often something that happens in Rogers Park. Good morning, he said. Are you praising God? (laughs) And I was like, yes, I am. And he said, are you believing in God? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, praise God. And he kept walking down the street smoking his cigarette. And I thought, wow, God, that's an angel. You're, you're sending me a message. And that's the message today. I, I feel like what God wants to do today is He wants to strengthen our faith. He wants to ask us, Are you believing in God today? And so uh, the clever uh, title for today's message is How to Vote in November. How to Vote in November. And before we get into that, I, I just want to say that when you, you look in, when you look in the scriptures, when you get into Genesis, and you look at uh, the story of Adam, what you see right away is that um, God makes Adam, God makes Adam alone, God gives Adam commands, uh, and then he has him name all the animals. And part of why God is doing that is, as is, is it says in the scripture, and, and there was not found a suitable helper for Adam. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good. And up until this point in the story of creation, there had only been good. God made this. It was good. God made that. It was good. God made this. It was good. But it was not good that man be alone. And then God took a piece of Adam and he made a woman. He took out of Adam what was missing and made him complete with a woman. And when God finished what he started with Adam, he said, this is very good. This is very good. And what we see right away in the scripture, before there was even sin in the world, that there is a category that God gives us, which is, which is not finished, not good. There's more work to be done here. I want you to enter into a process I want you to enter into longing. I want you to enter into something is missing here, and it needs to be fulfilled. And that is something that God puts in the heart and mind of man, is to finish what has not been finished. And so earlier this week, uh, I, I was in prayer with a group of people that prays every Thursday morning. Um, from around the city. And during that prayer time, uh, God had me turn to this scripture. It's Psalm 60, starting at verse 8 through 12. It says, Moab is my washbasin. On Edom I toss my sandals. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have now rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. And God had took me to, to Psalm 60, verse 8. Look at Psalm 60 verse eight moab is my wash basin on edom i toss my sandal over philistia i shout in triumph what david was saying is god you had promised that you were going to make moab and edom and philistia you were going to make them um succumb to us we were supposed to have victory over these enemies but David is looking and he's seeing we don't have victory of our enemies. There's something that was supposed to be finished and it's not finished. And this caused in David this need to cry out that God would keep his promise that what God had said would happen would happen. And it's interesting because that work of David in that moment was not to go figure it out. It was not to go raise an army or call Egypt or uh, find some new allies. Instead, it was to, to stop and to cry out to God. You promised this. You promised this. Fulfill it. And sometimes that's the work. Jonathan last week he, he he talked about that in the book of John. The word belief is used more than any other book in the Bible. And and, and once again, it was an early morning prayer here at Gale Academy, which is right right behind me here. That Jonathan and I met with a couple other guys, and we prayed through the book of John. We read ten chapters that morning, and we stumbled on a, a chapter that said a, a verse that said. Um, my work is to believe in the one who sent me. And that's what I want to talk to us today about. I want to talk to us today about the work of believing. The work of believing God. And what, what does that look like? What does that even mean? What, how is that a work? How is that something that we're supposed to do? And it strikes me that this is really important here uh, two days before uh, the election. Because every four years now, we, we, we have this thing happen where, where there becomes this debate. And more and more, it's becoming a debate within the church about which side is the right side, which side is the God side. And we spend millions and millions of dollars trying to convince people to go our political way. And I I think if we're honest, it's not so much that we think that who we're voting for is going to actually change the world and make things better or great again, or change is going to come. But I think more and more, it's like, we're just so terrified of the other side and what they're going to do to us if they're in power. And the people that don't think like us or look like us or talk like us, what's going to happen if they have the throne, if they have the place of power? But the reality is, the reality is, is, is guys, I, I, I'm really convicted of this. That there, there is a person that can change people's minds, and there is a, a person that can heal our land. And we say at every election season, it's almost a cliche my vote is for Jesus. I vote for King Jesus. And we say that. But do we really, is our vote really with Christ? You know, maybe maybe abortion is an issue for you. Maybe that's the issue. And I can understand it. No matter what, an unborn baby is a potential life. That no matter where you stand on, if it is a life or not a life, an unborn baby is a potential American, is a potential life. But here's the thing. Who can really stop an abortion? You know, we live in a neighborhood where all the time during the summer, all summer long, people are out here selling drugs. And there's a law against selling drugs. And every three or four years, all the guys that are out here get picked up and sent away. But there's a law that makes doing that illegal. And they go to jail every year. And yet, every year, every decade that I've been here, there's still guys out here. Selling drugs. And it doesn't matter how many lives it ruins or who's, who's, how, how many people die. It just keeps happening. But every once in a while, we will, we will see somebody who used to do that have an encounter with the living God. And all of a sudden, they can't do it anymore. All of a sudden, even if they're out here, they they start to feel a conviction. They start to feel a sadness about it. They start to feel a darkness about it. They start to, to know that it's the wrong thing to do. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, we can... We can talk about law and order, and we can care about law and order. But there's only one really effective police officer in the whole world, and that's the Holy Spirit. And when he's in the heart of a man or a woman, he is checking them on a regular basis, directing them in the ways that are right, and giving them the faith that no matter how hard it's going to be to do the right thing that somehow God is going to be with them. So that's why I got to ask you church, if you care about abortion, if you care about racism, if you care about police abuse, if you care about violence and if you care about our economy, and if you care about justice and, and, and the poor, uh, being taken care of. I would say that the person who is best able to change people's hearts and minds is the person of the Holy Spirit. And the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus, is a story that now God can be filled, that man can now be filled with God that we can be full, fully man and full of God. And we can be directed into righteousness. And so honestly, like who the president is maybe matters, but who the president of your heart is, is really what matters. And people of God, we have the mandate to let people know that they can have a relationship with the living God through the word of our testimony, because we've experienced it, because we've seen it. I remember a 16 year old girl who got pregnant. She lived in my building and she was thinking about having an abortion because she's 16 and how is this gonna mess up her life? And that's a for real thing. That's not a pretend thing. That's a, that's, a, that's a real problem to deal with. So we began to pray for her. And we as a church came around her and we let her know no matter what happens, we're going to support you in this. And she chose to have that baby and that baby became a, a student in my movie class. And now she's a... 20-year-old friend on Facebook. Guys, there's a, there's a ticket we can vote for. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Vice President is you, the church. And I wonder if in November, will you vote for that? Will you vote for that with your time and with your energy and your money? Will you show up where God needs you to show up? Not just November 3rd, but November 4th and 5th, and then in December, and then in January, and in all of 2021. Will you you take a risk that Jesus is actually able to change things? Will you take that risk in times of prayer, committing yourself to prayer? I'm not saying you have to be at a a prayer at 6.30 in the morning with us every morning or at 5 a.m. on Thursday mornings. And I'm not saying that people that pray are better, but people that pray are better prepared. People that pray and seek the Lord know what he's doing and they know how to be where they're supposed to be when God tells them. So church, I, we, there's, a, there's a part of us, if we're not careful, we, we got to realize that we don't really believe that the gospel matters. Because if we did, we, we'd live differently. Sometimes we don't really believe that prayer matters because if we did, we would be praying If we believed Jesus mattered, we'd be preaching. If we believed Jesus mattered, we would be sharing him with our coworkers and with our neighbors. We'd be sharing our story and our experience, and we would not be ashamed. And if we really believed that Jesus was the answer and the way and the resurrection and the bread of life, people should be able to see it in what we talk about and think about and what we are afraid of and what we put our hope in. And so it's, it's not for me a cliche thing to say, will you vote for Jesus in the months to come with, your, with showing up, with speaking out and really put your faith in him. And so we get to the story that we're, we've been in for a couple of weeks now. The story is John 11. And I just want to focus on one specific part of the story today and one specific person in the story today. And it's the person Thomas. And we know him as Doubting Thomas. But he uh, will kind of surprise you i think we're going to start it all right so i'm just going to read starting verse one now a certain man was ill lazarus of bethany the village of mary and her sister martha it was mary who anointed the lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother lazarus was ill so the sister sent to him saying lord he whom you love is ill but when jesus heard it he said this illness does not lead to death Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. So what we see in this story, um, and he, here's what's happened so far. Jesus right away in the book of John walks into the temple and starts turning over the the, the um, tables of the money changers. Jesus right away is confronting the, the corruption in the religious system of his day. Uh, the reality was that you only had access to kind of the welfare system of Jesus's day if you were good with the Jewish authorities. So in some ways, uh, the temple was, was kind of like our government. They were kind of like our social security. They were kind of like having the right to vote. And what they were doing is they were, you, you had to be pure you had to be ritually pure in order to be part of the system. There were like hoops that you had to jump through. And a lot of times what they were doing is they were using the sacrificial system and the need to pay for sacrifices. And they were sometimes charging, charging exorbitant amounts for you to buy like a pigeon. It's like when you go to an amusement park and you, you have to spend $10 for a Coke, right? It's like, that's not fair, but, you know, what are you going to do, right? You're either going to not have your Coke that day or, or you're going to have to pay the $10 for it. And it was, it was kind of the same thing going on. And so Jesus right away starts to confront these guys. And, and this story continues throughout the book of John. John actually gives these guys probably the hardest time of any of the gospels. And in the story right before this, Jesus heals a blind man who is blind from birth. And he gets sent to the Pharisees. And Jesus does it on the Sabbath, which breaks the Pharisees' rules, which is his kind of way of civil disobedience, saying, your your rules are silly. You don't actually care about the people, and I'm going to oppose them. And he sends this blind man to them. They summon this blind man and he actually asked them, do you want to, you want Jesus to, do you want to become his disciples too? And they get so furious with this guy that they kick him out of the synagogue, which is basically they kick him off welfare. They kick him off the system. He is no longer a citizen, no longer has the rights of a citizen. And then he meets Jesus and he worships Jesus. And that's what's happened right before this. And so what has happened is the the Pharisees have gotten so frustrated with Jesus that they're finally telling the people, hey, if we see you hanging out with him, if you vote for Jesus, there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be a financial consequence. There's going to be a social consequence. There's going to be a religious consequence. We're going to put you out of the synagogue. And so the, the, um, the stakes have gotten a lot higher. The, the disciples have been following Jesus around and seeing him do all this cool stuff. And there have been crowds and they've been feeding 5,000 people and all this amazing stuff has happened. But now Jesus has become dangerous. And now there's a risk to following Jesus. Now there's a risk to taking a stand with him of standing with Christ. And so when Jesus says, my friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and we're gonna go visit him, they're gonna go visit a town just outside of Jerusalem where the very people that have tried to kill Jesus numerous times are hanging out. Jesus is taking them into rival gang territory. And so the disciples, it, you get the sense that disciples get together, kind of behind Jesus' back, and they're, they're going to take a vote. Are we going to stay with him? I'm not so, this, so sure this is a good idea. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, don't don't you remember they want to kill you down there? And Jesus says, you know, "When when it's light out, you can walk in the light, but when it's dark, you won't be able to, which probably made no sense to them. And this guy, Thomas, said to the fellow disciples, Let us also go that we might die with him. Now, that's a vote. All right. When I write my little dot next to somebody's name and I put it in the mailbox, that doesn't cost me a whole lot. Now, if I put who I voted up on Facebook, that might cost me a little bit more. But I'm not worried that somebody's going to stone me. Because I voted for Trump, or I voted for Biden, or I voted for a third party candidate, all right? I might get canceled, but I'm probably not going to get stoned. But when Thomas and the disciples voted for Jesus, they were putting everything at risk. And it's important for us to think through what is going on here and why this story is being told. And why is John including this story? He's the only person that has this story in the Gospels. And we know the story. They go with Jesus. Lazarus is dead. Martha comes to him, says, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus says, don't you know that I am the resurrection? She says, yeah, I know one day he'll rise from the dead. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die but live. And then Mary comes to him and she says the same thing. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And she weeps. And Jesus says, take me to the tomb. They go to the tomb. And everyone there is just weeping. And the Bible says, and Jesus wept. And then Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha says, Lord, if you take away the stone, he's been in there for days, it's going to stink. And we're totally disrespectful. You're supposed to wait until the the body rots. So what we have left is the bones. And then we bury the bones. You know how it goes. And Jesus says, Take the stone away. And then Jesus speaks to a dead man and says, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man comes out of the tomb, still covered in the wraps of, for his burial and they unwrap him, and he is alive once again. Why this story? Well, think about who wrote this story. We think it's it's John. What do we know is going to happen with John one day? What do we know is going to happen with these disciples one day? What do we know is going to happen probably in the next week or two? In the next week or two, they're going to see their Savior crucified on a cross and buried just like Lazarus. And Jesus needs them to see this resurrection so that they know that when you see the absolute in defeat, you still can believe. And the disciples will, will have this story, and then they will see Jesus die, and they will see Jesus raised from the dead. And then will see the Holy Spirit come on Pentecost and be poured out, and they will see people speaking in different languages and people hearing their own language in a miracle. And then they will see Peter walking by people and he. So so anointed is he that even if his shadow passes a sick person, that person will be healed. But they will also see right after that, Stephen, martyred in front of their eyes, killed, stoned by the religious leaders. And God lets it happen. And John will see his brother killed. He'll see his own brother sent to prison and then executed. And he'll see his other brother, his brother in Christ, Peter, sent to prison and rescued by an angel. It costs to follow Jesus. There is a loss to follow Jesus. There's a victory. There's a resurrection, but there's also a cost. And in those dark times in the early church, when they're being persecuted, when they're seeing their friends killed, when they don't have money because of the persecution, when they're being scattered, when they're being tortured, when they're being thrown in jail, Every once in a while, they're gonna be looking at each other and saying, is this what we signed up for? I thought we were supposed to take back the nations. It seems like we're getting our butts kicked here. When they would preach the gospel and people would initially uh, receive it. And then the next day there would be uh, a riot that would kick them out of the town. Jesus knew they needed a story. That what looks dead is not necessarily dead. That parent, that child who's lost, who doesn't know, who doesn't understand, our neighborhood, our city, when we look at it and we don't see finished what God told us to finish when we don't have any more hope because what we're seeing is people dying that we invested in all our lives, 20 years, and then they killed themselves. When we're out here week after week after week and, and we don't see hundreds coming to the Lord, we see just a little trickle, maybe one every two or three years. Will we still believe? And so Jesus gives us the story of a resurrection of a man who dies, who goes in a tomb, who the story is over and people coming to Jesus and saying, if you had been here, how many times in our life have we wondered, God, where were you? Where were you? Where were you when this happened to me? Where were you when this happened to my family? Where were you? If you would have been here. You see, guys, a a vote for Jesus doesn't mean just that you're going to have to put everything at risk to follow him. But a vote for Jesus also means you're going to weep. A vote for Jesus means you're going to have losses. Do you understand? Jesus understood that there were going to be losses. He had seen mankind lose from the beginning of time. Right? Jesus had seen Cain kill Abel. He had seen the leaders, kill his prophets. And I think John wrote that verse, that that short verse, Jesus wept because John had suffered loss and John had had to weep. And he wanted to remember that Jesus weeps with us too. That Christ is with us also. And so a a vote for Jesus is going to risk everything. A vote for Jesus is going to lead us to weep. I love what uh, I just heard this woman, Kate Braystra. She talked about grieving. And do you know God grieves too? It's amazing. Jesus is about to raise him from the dead, but he still grieves God is going to one day make things better, but he still grieves. He never meant for him to not be present. We rejected him. We rebelled against him. It must have broke his heart to hear these women say, if you had been here. God was probably saying, I wanted to be here the whole time. I've always wanted to be here but you push me away. You push me out. And when you do that, death comes. And so, of course, Christ weeps. Kate Bryce Jones said, walk fearlessly into the house of mourning. For grief is just love squaring up to its oldest enemy." And after all these mortal human years, years, love is up to the challenge. Walk fearlessly into the house of mourning, for grief is just love squaring up to its oldest enemy. And after all these mortal human years, love is up to the challenge. Jesus weeps with us. When we vote with him, when we stand with him and we walk with him into these dark and hard and dangerous places, places where sometimes it impacts us financially, it impacts our families, there's losses that come with with this calling on us. And when we feel those losses, Jesus weeps with us. He's right there with us in it. the hope is this guys this is why jesus took his disciples through this because it's our hope too jesus wanted us to know that if you put it all on the line for me if you if you will jump all the way in why do you think thomas said unless i see his wounds I won't believe that he's back from the dead because Thomas was all the way in and he had saw his savior killed in front of him. He left everything to follow Christ and he was disappointed. And when we're disappointed, sometimes we we get into a dark place where we have to tell God, you got to show me if I'm going to keep going. Jesus was willing to show him. And he said, blessed are you because you see and believe, but blessed are those who won't see, but will believe. And so church, when you are willing to believe, and then if you're willing to believe, you're willing to put it all on the line. And if you put it all on the line, you're going to have losses and you're going to weep but you also have this promise because there is a resurrection. He is the resurrection. Death does not have the final say. Disappointment, you do not have the final say. What I can see with my eyes right now does not have the final say. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I have the final say, And every seed that dies for my sake, every seed that puts it all on the line for me, that seed will bear fruit. If you will put it all at risk for Jesus, if you will weep Because of following Jesus. Jesus says. Your dying and your living. Will matter for eternity. Everybody dies and everybody lives. And almost everybody's death and almost everybody's life matters to somebody. But when you die for Christ, when you put it all on the line for Christ, when you live for Christ, you're dying and you're living. You're living and you're dying matters for eternity. For eternity. So right now, we're going to go to our discussion time. And what I want you to do, guys, I believe that if the church will believe, if the church will be all in and really believe that Jesus is the answer, not pretend Jesus is the answer, but really put it all on the line. This is actually what will make America great, finally. This is actually what will end all the things that we're looking for our politicians to end. It's Jesus. And we'll actually live like that and put our time and our energy and our money into that. And our hope into that. We will see change where we do that. We will see life where we have seen death. It is a promise. And so I want you to just take some time right now. I want you to evaluate. I want you to pull out the checkbook. I want you to pull out the schedule. I want you to think about what is it that gives you energy that you're drawn to to do so that you, you get energy and you have life, your time, your energy, your money. I want you to look at that. I want you to evaluate that and say, Have I bet on Jesus with my time, with my money, with my security, with my safety, with my future, with my hope? Have I done that?